Hi, and welcome to the Bangwell Queen Workshop Guide. Today you're going to participate in a clay sculpting workshop guided by my voice. You will construct a historical setting, the Bangwell Queen's place of origin, based on my oral description and your imagination. While I'm describing it, I will also weave in some historical and cultural information so you get a better sense of the artifact's context. Now, please take a seat. As you will notice, there are four outlined squares on the table. Please only work within their boundaries. The materials in front of you are all materials that are reported to have been in the original site, so please do take your time to smell the materials and feel the textures so you can mentally immerse yourself within the space and stir your imagination through the process. Do use the materials as creatively as you'd like. There are absolutely no rules as to how you can represent the space. Make 3D objects with clay, but also feel free to mount 2D card drawings. The more inventive, the better. Before we begin, if you have any questions, please consult with me. Cameroon, 1897. The German colonial agent, Gustav Conrau, is the first European to enter the Banga Grassfields territory. He's collecting objects, mostly from the city of Funtem in the Banga region between 1897 and 1898. Among the group of Grassfields objects is the yet-to-be-famous Bangla Queen figure, a wooden sculpture of a woman caught in movement. She will eventually be traded or sold to various collectors such as Arthur Speyer, 1926, Charles Ratton, late 1920s, Helena Rubinstein, 1930s, and Harry Franklin, 1966, before ending up in the Musée d'Apper in Paris, 1990. Imagine you are Conrau. You are looking to recruit Bangwa men to work on German plantations on the Cameroonian coast. You're in one of the wettest parts of Africa, surrounded by semi-deciduous forests of wooden savannas and scattered trees ranging from mahogany, ebony, obeche, and sapeli. You find yourself entering their places of residence, traditional Zulu huts. The Rondavel huts are covered with textured straw and fiber. You bow your body as you enter a low entrance. Beneath you is a hard mud floor. It smells like earth. You feel encircled by the Rondava's huts round walls. Walls made out of a frame of assorted wood, boasting different shades of brown. You see many objects, mostly miscellaneous, in the hut. Pots, fiber, tools, food. However, your eyes are drawn towards a distinctive wooden figure, made out of dark mahogany wood. You immediately think of how it would look like in the Museum für Volkerkunde in Berlin. Mouth open in song and knees bent in dance, the Bangwa Queen figure evokes movement even in her sculptural state. In her right hand, she grasps a ceremonial basketry rattle. Necklaces, bracelets and anklets adorn her otherwise unclothed body. This jewellery, along with traces of red camwood powder, signify the prestige she, hand out, she held among the Bangwa. A pair of sturdy breasts are attached to her chest. Her weight rests on the tips of her toes and her shoulders lean slightly forward to show that she does not pose but instead dances. The, the sculpture is a snapshot of a woman in motion. She represents the mother of twins or of a special child and is a priestess of the earth. Being a priestess of the earth, she would have performed the dance of the earth which sounds a bit like this.
The carver captured her in this moment of dance, indicated by her stance and by the basketry rattle. This information is deduced from Conrau's notes when he acquired her, which stated that she was called Njinnam, meaning woman of God. She represents a particular ancestress, a woman who was once a live human being, but whose identity is unknown today. This figure belongs to the category of statues known as Le Femme figures, portraits of important ancestors. Like Bangwa history, not much is known about Le Femme figures. The most recent Le Femme statue, representing the parents of twins or a special child, was found in Bangwa in 1967, and only one was found. It seems that the practice of carving Le Femme figures no longer takes place in the Bangwa region. The woman depicted in the sculpture undoubtedly held a status position among the Bangwa, evident both in her title as Njinnam and in her elaborate necklaces, bracelets and anklets. Women were highly regarded in Bangwa society, in part because of their reproductive abilities. A kingdom becomes bigger and therefore more powerful with the more people the king governs. So women who birthed twins were effectively increasing the size of the kingdom by two. Women were also respected enough that the king often approached the queen mother or his favorite wife for advice. While women were often considered to have a lower social status than men, they had more control over land than men and could even take a pseudo-chief rule in some specific circumstances in paramount chiefdoms. Therefore, we can conclude that the woman represented in this statue was very highly respected while she was living, especially because female ancestors are worshipped for their own sake, not propitiated through fear. At the same time that the figure was regarded as a general example of Cameroon art, she was also admired for her one-of-a-kind qualities. Arguably, all Bangwa art is unique from its counterparts, as it is difficult to classify a distinct Bangwa style. However, because all Bangwa art is diverse, it is difficult to accept that the queen figure is adored to such an extent solely for her uniqueness. What makes the Bangwa queen figure so notable is the superlative qualities of her uniqueness. African art historian William Fagg, in reference to the Bangwa figure, stated that she bids fair to, the, to be the finest example of movement in all African sculpture. To Fagg, she is not only unique, she is the best at being unique. Her record-breaking sale price in 1990 to the Musée d'Aper is a factual superlative that cannot be debated and that adds to her exceptionality. Since she was taken by Conra, the Bangla figure has been, in a, has been in a plethora of museums in the West. Through such, her meaning has been reconstructed and reimagined with each new display. She is a chef d'oeuvre in the Brooklyn Museum's 1954-55 exhibition, Masterpieces of African Art. Admired for her gender in Women in the Arts of Africa of the Musée d'Aper in 2008 and crowned the heroine in the Met Museum's Heroic Africans, Legendary Leaders, Iconic Sculptures in 2011, to name a few. The buying and selling of the Bangwa figure has made her, therefore, in some sense, a commodity. Therefore, the exhibitions provide alternative angles for exploring her meaning. It reconsiders cultural factors of her original function and asks questions, such as the role of women in Bangla society. It also provides insight into Western ideas and notions of the museum. But what is the role and authority of museums in Western society that they are able to ask such questions? What knowledge is meant to be relayed on them? These are important questions to consider when looking at geographically displaced art.
Now back to the workshop. I remind you all to be mindful and conscious of the materials you're using. Pay attention to the smells, the textures, the materiality. By now, I hope you've constructed a good image of what the space was like. Do not feel the need to represent the whole space. You may just represent aspects of it or things that spoke to you the most visually. Your piece does not have to be perfect and it will probably not come out exactly how you envisioned it in your mind. However, the point of this exercise is not to create an accurate piece of work, but rather to stir your spatial awareness, evoke your senses, and enrich your knowledge on an extremely interesting historical subject. Once you are done, place your piece on the table for display and scan the second QR code to see pictures of the actual Bangal Queen to find out whether your imagination was close to the original artifact. I hope you enjoyed this workshop and thank you for listening.